This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Daniel O, President and Chief Executive Officer of Renewable Energy Group. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with REG's Dan O next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. With crop prices falling, farm income plummeting, and Mother Nature wrecking havoc, the private sector crop insurance infrastructure is more important today than ever. Providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. 21 years ago, a Ralston, Iowa company, West Central Cooperative, built a refinery with a goal of bringing improved value to soybean oil. Today, that company, known as Renewable Energy Group, has a global presence. And its president and chief executive officer, Dan O, says they produce more than fuel from an expanded feedstock base. When you think about our basic raw material, the building blocks, they're fats and oils, triglycerides, fatty acids, things that you break out of fats and oils that come from plants and animals. And soybean oil is a wonderful raw material. We're happy to use it. We also use canola oil. At the same time, there are companies that are basic in the crushing and production of seeds that have a great economic base. So that leaves for us an opportunity to produce from oils when it works for us, but also to be a business that adds value to many other forms of livestock and grain. And also through waste collection environmental services companies out there that need to get their lipids out. So we take whatever works uh, in terms of regulatory policy. We've got a very sophisticated technology system and production and supply chain system that gathers and distributes the great product we make. And we make fine biodiesel and renewable hydrocarbon diesel and deliver it to the market every day. So when we think about all of the products that you provide, it is more than just fuel. Oh, absolutely. Our revenue comes from many sources of fuel today that we produce. So we make biodiesel and oxygenate fuel. We make renewable hydrocarbon diesel that really looks just like ultra-low sulfur diesel. We make naphtha, renewable naphtha, renewable LPG. But we also make other co-products that matter, like glycerin and products that come out of our production process. And we have many products in development, including renewable chemicals that are to come out of our life sciences business uh, through fermentation and other things like lubricants. Where do you see as greatest opportunity for your company? Is it just in fuel or are there new frontiers? Now, the new frontiers, uh, and those frontiers, just like uh, American agriculture, span the world. So we have two fundamental sources of revenue today. We make great products that are of high quality, high value, and compete with conventional and renewable products that exist today. We also deliver through the products that we produce lower carbon intensity. And when I say that, I mean when you look at the total life cycle of production, Let's compare it to petroleum-based diesel fuel, which uh, we sell and, and I use as well. That comes out of the ground. There's carbon that was sequestered. There's energy that's above ground that's used to produce it. That's the total amount of carbon to get it out there. What we're generally doing is taking plants and animals instead of the old fossilized ones. We're taking new ones, 
converting them and have at least a 50% or better profile, often 85% better profile in terms of carbon being introduced into the environment. People today across the world want a cleaner, lower carbon intensity environment, and there's great value in that, and there's real cash being paid for today. Tell us about the scope of the company. You started with one plant looking at soybean oil. Now you have production facilities, but you also take the product all the way to the consumer. We are fully integrated. Uh, really, the only thing we do not do is grow anything. We, we do get involved in the collection of some used cooking oil in Europe, uh, but we gather from hundreds of vendors who gather from many, many producers all over from lots of different sources, and our supply chain brings it to plants that are efficiently located. So we become, in most cases, I think people think of us as the most logical place to deliver their byproduct and waste. We apply the capital, refine and clean it, turn it into great products, and then we deliver it right back in as a B2B company. We sell to other companies who then sell it to end users. What role does Washington regulatory policy, legislation from Congress, what role has it played in the development and now the function of your company? Uh, In terms of development, as is the case for about every industry I can think of, including the regular energy industry, policy has mattered. And the policy has been focused on energy security, it's been focused on food security, and it's been focused on climate. And as we've matured as a country and as an industry, all of those have come together through many levels of incentives at local, county, state, and federal levels in many complementary programs. And that isn't simply in the U.S., it's in Europe and it's in other locations. Today, uh, and a lot of folks would think about Renewable Fuel Standard too. we have what I consider to be a very good market-based policy. So yes, every year uh, the federal government will set new goals, going towards aspirational goals, so that we can all average down the total carbon intensity in all the fuel that we use. And then within that, companies like RG compete. And we compete just like any other company. So we have capital opportunities, we have profit opportunities, and as we do that, we improve food security by paying a higher price for lower carbon and waste products. That means the protein that's being produced is better priced or less risky. We deliver out of new refineries great fuel that the country needs, and we deliver cleaner products. Really, the essence of it is we're like any other company. On any given day, and I think this is a good thing, we don't have a guaranteed price. We don't know who we're going to sell to. We don't know at what volume, where, or when. It sounds pretty normal. And because of that, it causes us to make efficient, smart decisions, or at least try to do that like any other company would. And that's the way policy ought to be. It is a challenge the ethanol industry has faced of taking corn, grinding it for ethanol, food versus fuel. The corn growers have their own story to tell from that, and certainly of the advance of dried distilled grains that are also used for livestock feed. But in the case of your company, you're using byproducts. Soybean oil, a byproduct of the crush for the meal that we use for livestock, and the waste products that you use, there's really not another home for them. You have a tremendous environmental story. We do, and uh, and the industry overall does. We, we think about it as food, then fuel. So no one's in business to sell to us directly in any practical way. Maybe folks are collecting waste out of 
restaurant cooking facilities. Sure, they might be, but even then they're providing restaurant services. So really, people are producing protein. That protein is going into many different food sources, and the waste and byproducts that are left over from harvesting animals or crushing has to go somewhere. And in the old days, there wasn't a bottom price. Today, because the steel and the policy and the knowledge and the technology has been applied, we basically have a practical floor for agriculture of the conversion price to energy. And that's been a great thing. It's enabled direct payments to go away. We don't live in that world anymore, much more risk-focused in that world. And when we're delivering these products, again, we either reduce risk or make it more likely the price is good, or we're improving water by not seeing this stuff go into the waterways or improving our clean air. So it's a great story both on the agriculture, the energy security, and the cleaner environment side. Biodiesel has been challenged because of Washington's on again and off again with regard to tax credits for the industry. How's Washington policy helping you? And, and, and how is the, the action or the can-kicking of Congress challenging you? We're, we're thankful for the support. And uh, the policy is important. And, yes, uh, the biodiesel mixture excise tax credit, which has been also called the uh, blender's tax credit, that, that's come and gone in terms of lapsing, but it's been in effect since the middle of the last decade. And it's been important. It's really helped infrastructure get built out. It's shared amongst all the constituents through normal routine negotiation. We would rather it be routine. Uh, our incentive is embedded with other tax extenders and practically whenever the extenders bills come up they always have something they've got to get attached to some kind of tax bill i would have said in general a lot of people would just rather see more routine business being conducted in congress if that happens then we'll end up being fine but i think the controversy does not exist around our incentives uh, people understand the good policies just when do you get it through Senator Grassley has been one who has proposed the idea of the tax break going for the producer and not the blender pending dollars that are leaving the U.S. and supporting industry outside the country. And, and, and we're also for that. A producer tax credit makes tremendous sense and would definitely put United States citizen taxpayer dollars towards establishing and building infrastructure in the United States where I think that incentive is meant to go. It also, changing from blenders to producers, w wouldn't have any effect on the overall usage of biofuel, at least from my perspective, because the call for this clean, high-value product already brings in imported product, and that imported product is already supported within the existing pricing structure. It's more a question of risk and which product ought to be preferred first. I think, for example, today, if you're a, uh, a biodiesel consumer or a biodiesel producer, it's harder to get U.S. biodiesel on the coast because the uncertainty makes it hard to invest on the coast. So if you don't know from any year whether something's going to come from a subsidized country where a government's putting special money in to get it to the U.S. or not, and in the U.S. that's not the case because it's just an open market, you're less likely to go to the coast. If we want to grow our infrastructure, a producer credit is more likely to target U.S. production. Is legislation or is regulation either restricting the ability for your company and for this industry to grow? I think we have a good policy framework. I also think that as RFS2 and some other policies have come online, they're complicated and hard to figure out. Over the last few years, I think people have figured out reasonable places to start from and go through continuous improvement. 
What we all really need is more routine and regular decision-making so that the forward predictability of what's going to happen is simpler. So, for example, under RFS2, if we saw the regulatory authorities in the executive branch who have been supportive, able to work with their other colleagues throughout the rest of government, and everybody's trying to do their best, and every year in June and every year in November put out signals that say it's going upward at a reasonable rate, that would encourage investment. It would encourage a better cost of capital for everyone because the risk would be lower. We could plan, and we could get stuff done more routinely. The antithesis of that with the delay of volume announcements under the RFS and questions over the blender's credit, has that inhibited your industry from growing? Well, it has certainly made it harder to plan, and I think it has made capital a little more expensive because, you know, in many ways money's not brave. Money that's coming in from investors wants to see a more assured return, and when they're not certain about what's happening, it will affect the valuation because of the uncertainty of the cash flows. Uh, so in the long run, it's all here to stay. The infrastructure's here, the needs here, the proven benefits are there. In the near term, we could just make it a lot easier for everybody to get to the right place by being more predictable. What could the incumbent president do from an attitude of supporting renewable fuels or statements regarding renewable fuels that would give better precedence for your industry? Uh, you know, the current president has an opportunity as he comes to his final term to ensure that RFS2 is firmly footed as it moves ahead. And when you think about carbon intensity and all the other wonderful benefits, just ensuring that we have strong indications for the, the forward renewable volume obligations and strong indications through the writing of the rules that it's in place in here, I think that would be a big signal. Do you have opportunity in export markets that you could satisfy? The, the opportunity in export markets is, is there. At the same time, North America and Europe, because they're focused on all these factors and our ability to develop them economically, make North America and Europe the best delivered markets. So today, North America wants more. So the evidence of that is products generally staying here. Finished fuel is coming here. Raw material is coming here. And that's good. So it's okay if we're not exporting. What we absolutely can do as other countries and other regions grow is help them through business technology, help them through establishment of supply chain, help them with quality assurance around proving the carbon intensity and fuel standards. Uh, all of that's still there. We can trade. We can use our, our uh, technology to make money overseas. We don't necessarily have to ship product overseas. There have been questions over the value of REN credits and if there should not be some level of government control. How do you evaluate, from your perspective, the value of RINs and the use of RINs today? Well, I think RINs are uh, quite effective if you think about them like basis. So, and that's, that's how I think about them. Uh, when you think about basis as the difference between uh, posted and delivered price, ultimately, the renewable volume obligations are the amount of product that needs to get delivered, and RINs will move up and down based on every other factor to ensure that that volume is delivered so the country gets the energy, the agricultural, and the carbon intensity benefit. So how do you best deal with uncertainty? Be very predictable. You know, sit here and say, here's what the market's going to be. Here's what's going to happen over time. People can plan. They don't have to worry so much about volatility. If you want to affect that, 
just be a little more predictable in the way we're saying how things are going to be moving ahead. Rent prices are a reflection of the nearby market opinion of what the future is going to be, just like basis often is. If you were to predict the demand for biodiesel in the country, would the glass be half empty or half full? Or, correct, would the tank be half empty or <laughs> half full? Well, I think, it's, I think it's clearly half full. And, and, and it's because of many things. Biomass-based diesel, and we make renewable hydrocarbon diesel. Some people call it renewable diesel, and we make biodiesel. It's all in the same category, and we're happily in both because we think the country needs both and, and, and pays for it in a good way that helps everyone. Uh, generally, the world's short diesel fuel. When you think about miles per gallon, you think about engine efficiency, diesel is a way that we're heading. When you think about global markets, other countries, other regions have gone to diesel first. And when we think about our need to bring down the carbon intensity and improve the agricultural benefits, biodiesel is just a great product. You can have smaller plants, larger plants. You can have all truck delivered. You can scale them up. They can be uh, distributed. They can be scaled together. Uh, we can process a wide range of crude raw material. And our know-how and technology we've developed the last 20 years has been very helpful around that. So the raw material growth, the technology, the customer adoption, the engine uh, usage, it, it just goes right into the system. It's easy to use. It should be said that there is demand for more than just biodiesel. The heating oil market, especially on the East Coast, has been favorable for your industry. Yep. And it's, a, it's another example of how a value-added product like biodiesel can make a big difference. So you've got heating oil-based heating systems for homes and commercial buildings out there. They, they want to do something cleaner. There's a high cost to convert to a natural gas system, especially in a lot of these older buildings. And simply by going to ultra-low sulfur diesel, which we've done, and blending in biodiesel, which is a wonderful oxygenate fuel and a great cleaner for those systems when they go through the burners, it's created a really good, clean solution. People like it. How much of the outlook of your company and perhaps the renewable industry is dependent on the price of crude and where it stands today in the 40s? We deliver two large components of value. We deliver a great physical fuel, and that never prices higher than the conventional product. So at the pump, a consumer and end user is paying the same price or less for diesel fuel or in in ethanol's case, uh, gasoline. We're, we're not an ethanol company. Great product. I use it every day. We also deliver carbon intensity, and that carbon intensity gets priced through things like low-carbon fuel standard credits in California and RENs. And when we get back to the concept of RENs versus basis, it's a naturally adjusting system. So if raw material prices aren't adjusting as quickly or energy prices aren't, so they're going up or down, RENs will make up the difference based on what production is needed. So we're okay. In fact, it's a strength of the system that we're focused on carbon intensity, not necessarily price. So REN prices will increase or decline to ensure that we're averaging down as we need to the carbon per gallon of fuel overall. And it's okay. As crude's gone down, yep, it's moved faster than ag products, and ag products catch up, but RENs have helped adjust for it. There is another advantage for your company, and I understand here in Iowa, incentives for renewable chemicals. The state has done a remarkable job investing through policy and things that add a lot of value over time. And, and really, the Midwest and the country overall has benefited Iowa's not the only state that's done this. Many states have, but, but Iowa's trying to lead in renewable chemicals. 
And we at REG were part of a group called the Cultivation Corridor. So it's an economic development organization focused on maximizing the technology value that's produced on an acre. Not just taking someone's technology from somewhere else and manufacturing and harvesting that, but also innovating it here and bringing it forward. If fundamental products are kind of Gen 1 and out of Gen 2, if, and this is just a category. The second kind of grouping was all these value-added products, including corn ethanol. Now there's an even deeper level of carbon chains that can be appreciated like a barrel of oil uh, would produce in chemicals. And that will come out of sugars. Uh, corn sugars, as prolific as they are, are becoming the cheapest sugar in the world. And the U.S. ought to be in a position where we can really harvest and take advantage of that. Our yield is increasing, great crops coming. Uh, I was in a great position to see that those sugars become super high-value, biodegradable, very important, useful products. And and I think it's happening here. We see it happening. Uh, we're in Ames, so we see Iowa State participating. We as a company are. We have a substantial investment in fermentation uh, around E. coli bacteria and uh, look at other host biology for sugars to go through to make many wonderful products. Think about it like a barrel of oil. About two-thirds of a barrel of oil goes into fuel, and the other third goes into chemicals. 60 70% of the value is in the chemicals, not in the fuel. So if we can get into higher-value products, we're more likely to see the, uh, the benefits stay in the country and also in the countryside. Well, Dan, we want to thank you for taking time uh, spending with us here on Open Mic. This is Open Mic, and, sir, you have an open forum. Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure being here. And we appreciate the opportunity not only to talk about those things that all of agriculture and energy in our industry are looking at, but also our company. Uh, I would like to editorialize a little bit. One is if you look at our business, which you can do, you can go to our website at regi.com or typical social media sites, a lot of great videos on YouTube. You'll see a thriving, strong, healthy company that's got 21 years of investment and very hard work. Overall, at the same time, our industry and these efforts, and these efforts uh, across these categories that are very worthy of food security and energy security and a better environment, they still deserve smart, regular, even policy support. And the more that they can be routinely administered so that we reduce the volatility of decision-making, the more likely we're going to deliver faster and more efficiently at a good cost of capital products that really matter that are going to be here for a very long time. And not every company is in the same position that we are because we benefited from folks that had a lot of foresight back in the mid-90s. The overall industry is fundamentally important, and there are a lot of family, family-owned family companies. There's a lot of smaller cooperative-owned businesses. There's some big companies involved, but as a set, country needs what's happening, and it deserves continued support. Our thanks to Renewable Energy Group President and CEO Dan O. our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley. 